Hello and welcome to this, the 10th episode of our Deep Awake Dialogue series. I'm Richard Cox, joined as ever by Tim Freak. And today we have special guest, Charlie Morley. Charlie has perhaps the coolest job in the world, I think. He <laughs> teaches people to dream. Charlie and Tim, good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hey man, how you doing? Good. Good to see you again. Um, so yeah, we realized that there was nowhere on the internet a conversation between the author of Lucid Dreaming and the author of Lucid Living. And this seemed to be terribly remiss of humanity not to have gotten this together so um so here we are to to rectify that um charlie perhaps um just a, a brief introduction i really want to get into stuff that the two of you haven't said umpteen times before on youtube but maybe if you just um give a brief introduction of how you came to have this um really cool job and look at this phenomenon of lucid dreaming from this very spiritual buddhist perspective Okay, cool, man. Thank you. Great intro. Um, I actually used to have a cooler job uh, than this. So this is actually slightly less cool than before. Um, I spent my kind of late teens and 20s running a hip hop group um, of kind of break dancers and graffiti artists and stuff like that. So I was really into that. And that was my uh, career path. But I'd been into lucid dreaming and Buddhism since my late teens. Um, And uh, started going to lucid dreaming workshops with these Buddhist masters and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And then when I was 25, my Buddhist teacher asked me to give a talk at one of his workshops. He said, oh, you know, give a talk about lucid dreaming. You can talk about it well. We need some young blood in this scene, blah, blah, blah. So I gave a talk uh, and then he asked me to give another and another and then it kind of snowballed from there. Um, so I never set out to do this, actually. Uh, and for the first three years, it was untenable as a career path. So I was still doing all the hip-hop stuff and then the weekends doing the um, lucid dreaming stuff so that was a very strange time Uh, but then I wrote a book and the book uh, did better than I thought it would do so then I packed up the hip-hop stuff and decided to do this full-time so this is a super cool job but even cooler is a rapper in a hip-hop group so actually I'm slightly less cool than I once was (laughs) you know what I did in my 20s dog ditches and sold shoes right <laughs> i don't know i went wrong in life this is i want my time over now tim um yes i was just thinking how i, I clearly relate to to charlie so strongly because um i also had a cooler job yes <laughs> putting together theatrical mu- music for theatrical raves and um, wow uh, and, and and ended up here maybe there's there's something in that kind of strange movement from those something which transforms consciousness through that very direct way that art does to transforming yeah. it in that long, more uh, long-term way that philosophy and spirituality and those sort of practices do. That's Yeah, I, I really agree with that, Tim. I don't think it's such a contradiction uh, when you hear people who move from something like music and entertainment into uh, kind of philosophy and, and mind exploration and stuff. I think it's very similar. Uh, and as you know, all the skills that we learn in the music stuff are totally transposable to this scene. You know, it's not just writing books. It's about, can you communicate on stage? Mm. Can you use music to support your message? All this stuff that you do in your workshops, I, I'm sure you'd agree that all your training in the music and um, uh, creative world prepped you for that, right? Yeah, and not least the, the book that, we, that, that you mentioned, Richard, Lucid Living, for me, that little tiny book, I always feel it's like my three minute, you know, I never had my three minute hit single, but that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny little book you can get really quick. It's like the essence. Yeah. It's all squeezed down into the, you know, the hook and the doof. And there it is. There's your, there's your, That's your top 10 hit. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that's um, an interesting place to go because Tim, you wrote this book, Lucid Living, obviously drawing a strong analogy, at least from the lucid dreaming state to waking life. And I thought um, an interesting place to go in the dialogue then would be to uh, ask you both to discuss how, for Charlie, your practice of lucid dreaming changes the way you see this um, waking reality. And Tim, through your lucid living spiritual practice, how you've come to view the nature of reality differently. Great. Who's going first? You, I think, first, my friend. I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let's let's think of at, at the lowest level. A lucid dream is like a huge 3D virtual reality simulation created by your mind. So as soon as you step into this space and you have this uh, awareness, aha, I'm dreaming. A lot of people wake up really quickly. And if you ask them why they wake up really quickly, it's because they're in a state of shock. And you say, what shocked you? And they say, how real it was. Because people expect that the lucid dream experience is going to be this kind of uh, really floaty, uh, uh, dreamy kind of psychedelic experience. And actually you become lucid in the dream. And it's, if anything, an experience of hyper-reality. And it actually is an experience of hyper-reality. If you have poor vision in the waking state, in the lucid dream state, you have perfect 20-20 vision. Um, eating a chocolate cake in the lucid dream state, which is you know, stuff that I spend every weekend trying to get people kind of to do really spiritual stuff in their lucid dreams. So uh, this sounds frivolous, but actually it's a brilliant thing to do in a lucid dream. Because if you eat chocolate cake in a lucid dream, for many people, it's this incredible experience of taste. And they say, why is it? Why did it taste so intense? And I say, because you weren't tasting through your tongue. You were tasting through your mind. The mind unhindered by the limits of what in Buddhism we might call the gross corporeal form, this kind of big flesh suit that stops us experiencing reality at its fullest, but can be harnessed to allow us to experience that fullest nature of reality. Uh, but most of us don't harness it like that. So if anything, it's a hindrance. So the lucid dream state offers people an experience of hyper reality. Now, the interesting thing then happens when you wake up and you eat chocolate cake and you're eating the chocolate cake and you're thinking, this tastes very much like it did in the lucid dream. This feels very much like it did in the lucid dream. What's the difference here? So you hear these great sages from the different mystical traditions saying what we see to be a externally existing dualistic reality is more like a collective dreamlike projection that we have uh, co-created into existence. And I'm thinking, nah, it's not, man. I can't get that. You know, this whole thing of emptiness, the pure potentiality of reality. I feel pretty real. I, I don't feel like a dream. However, you go into the lucid dream and you do the same thing. You tap your hand or even better, pinch yourself. You know that whole thing, pinch yourself to see if you're dreaming. You do that in a lucid dream and you just feel pain. Now that's amazing. You know that you're asleep in your bed. You know that you are not pinching your hand. And yet if you do that in the lucid dream state, you feel pain. So you learn that the mind is not only a master at creating illusion, but it's also a master at creating reality. Now that cannot not have a direct effect on your experience of waking reality. Um, I think in a very profound way, although there's an interesting scientific report that came out a couple of years ago that showed it in quite a mundane way. Um, they had believed that 
people who thought outside the box. There's a psychological term for it. I think it's non-field delineated thinkers or something, but let's call it people who think outside the box, um, had more lucid dreams. And this had been research going back 20 years. I thought, oh yeah, uh, they think outside the box, so they're good at lucid dreaming. They now discovered a couple of years ago, the research was incorrect. Having lucid dreams created non-field dependent thinkers, people who thought outside the box. They showed that lucid dreaming actually rewired the neural circuits, allowing people to think outside the box more easily. Now that's cool because that is scientific proof that lucid dreaming expands your experience of reality. The, the question that comes up for me, like I had a lucid dream recently and I've never got over the just standing in a dream in awe that this world around me could be arising <laughs> in my mind. Yes, um, nailed it. Big, heavy, solid objects like pillars, just like I'm pushing against it. It's so solid. I can't believe something that heavy could be in my mind. I looked out the window because I can see the sea from my house in a dream, mm -hmm. looked out the window and saw this vast shimmering body of water. Mm. That must weigh trillions of tons and it's in definitely. I know, I know I'm dreaming and that is definitely in my mind. And the thing that comes up then is I wake up the next day, look out the window and I'm looking at this vast body of shimmering water and think, what? no, couldn't be it's the perception of it is but it oh i don't know anymore and it opens up these questions tim you must well this is your bread and butter this is the kind of stuff you think about what's your your insight <laughs> that is so true oh wow isn't that interesting so there's two things basically i think that come to mind for me one is the whole when i was looking for a metaphor to describe my experience of awakening and to try and condense all of these studies I'd done over the years, all these different traditions into what's the essential message. I, I jumped to the, the analogy of dreaming, which is, um, you know, Jesus, I mean, the, this has been done by the Gnostics endlessly. It's been done by the body Dharma. It's been done, you know, loads of people have done this. Rumi's done it. It's a common image, but it's a very powerful one. And the, the idea of lucid dreaming is even better because what it goes is, you know, right now is like a lucid dream. And what, that enabled me to do was to capture this polarity that like that what you get in a dream is oh my god i am both in it and in a deeper sense it's in me mm. that i am both in this 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 sense this material what seems like a material reality something which is solid and also from another perspective it is also not what it seems to be and i am all of it mm. and in a very deep level i think that is the essence of the mystical experience that 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 jump from i'm in it to it's in me i'm the object to i'm the subject this formless presence of awareness the dreamer within which the appearances are arising and those appearances then are a lot more subtle than the solidity of being in it having said that the other thing i want to add now is that what's fast what what having moved on i mean my work on lucid living is quite some time ago now as a philosopher, what intrigues me that now is having, having brought in that analogy and made such good use of it, I hope, what's the difference between these two states? Because what I'm not, in, I don't feel comfortable going, this is a dream. Because that, you lose then this important difference, that there's a difference between meeting you here and my experience of dreaming. These are, you know, and the fact that you can call it a lucid dream is because it's not the same as this. 
So then the interesting thing becomes, okay, so these two things are analogous in ways that often people miss. Uh, and also they're different. And what is their relationship? And that is the thing which I found myself wanting to explore more and more all the time. I've heard you um, talk about this yourself, Charlie, of expressing that it's very important that people are able to distinguish because if you break that barrier down too much, people can end up with a kind of psychosis of um, not knowing when they're dreaming or not. And you've talked about mm -hmm. things you get people to do, like pull on their hands and if their fingers don't extend, um, and you know you're, yeah, we're in. Yeah, that would have been too yeah. weird if that, if that <laughs> had extended then. That, that would have. Yeah, so these, these are reality checks. I think, uh, you know, reality checks are certain things you can do to tell if you're dreaming or not. But more interesting, I think, was your, your first bit of the question. Because um, some people are worried about this. They're worried about, okay, well, if you say lucid dreaming is so real, then do I stand in the possibility of losing touch with waking reality. And in fact, the opposite is true. Nobody is better primed to tell the difference between waking reality and a hallucinatory projection of waking reality than the lucid dreamer. They spend their lives training themselves to tell the difference between something that looks very much like reality, but isn't quite waking reality, and waking reality itself, because the dream looks so real, right? So actually, lucid dreaming is like an anti-psychotic training. You are less likely to confuse dream with waking reality if you're a trained lucid dreamer than before, because the whole basis of lucid dreaming is to tell the difference. And I think people are often um, maybe even a bit disappointed by this because they meet lucid dreamers and they think we're going to be really like, wow, man, everything's a dream. Wow, it's all manifestation, all this stuff. And it's like lucid dreamers are not. Lucid dreamers are often solid and grounded people because they have trained themselves to tell the difference between reality and a projection of reality. So actually lucid dreaming isn't about staying in bed all day and, and just dreaming all day and then when you wake up being confused about the difference. It's about going into the lucid dream state and using it as a rehearsal space for enlightened action, for lucid living. You know, you go into the lucid dream and you practice embracing your demons. You practice flying through the sky. You practice walking through walls so that when you wake up, you are more likely to embrace the demon of that fear that's been blocking you, to walk through the wall of your own bullshit that's been stopping you and to fly through the sky of your limits. I don't know. My metaphor stops there. But do you know what I mean? It's like a rehearsal space for this. So where there is one thing that people into mysticism um talk about though and indeed tim and i recorded a dialogue just the other month on magic and manifestation and phenomenons like synchronicity where the waking mm. reality seems to become more dreamlike um and i'm actually fascinated uh, to know charlie because you've been um you're probably at the thin end of people in the thin edge of people in the world who have had this great number of lucid dreams and studied it to this extent um how that um how you view things like synchronicity then but on on also tim on your philosophical point your um we experience um similarity and difference to the dream state like we do experience dream-like things opening up in waking reality like amazing synchronicity meaningful coincidence uh, there seems to be a science of psychic phenomenon now and at the same time i've never pushed my hand through a table and i've never gone off flying in waking reality so there seems to be a comparison and a difference and i wonder is that um what accounts for that from either the buddhist tradition or from your philosophy tim is it that the 
the whole world is patterns of thought and they're just constructed differently in these different levels of reality or is there something more fundamental than that? Charlie, maybe say a few words about how, how you see that because I'd like to roll on that question and, and lay out something for you to comment on from the new philosophy I've been constructing of emergent spirituality and just see how it fits with your actual experience of exploring these other realms. Uh-huh. Um, an interesting thing that, that Richard asked there was the kind of Buddhist view on this. Now, the Buddhist view is really far out. The Buddhist view is actually that if you do it enough in your lucid dreams, you will be able to do it in reality. And if you look at the seemingly miraculous uh, uh, descriptions of, of the kind of uh, miraculous cities or powers of these great yogis from different traditions, things like flying through the sky, appearing in two places at once, walking through walls, these aren't random miraculous powers. These are exactly the things we're told to train for in the lucid dream state. So it could be said that if you were fully awake, fully lucid, fully aware that this waking state was a collective projection of our mind, then you might be able to interact with this reality in the same way as you can in the lucid dream state. Now, here's the next question. So if somebody was in this fully awakened state and could walk through a wall, um, could we see it if we weren't awake? And the Buddhist view on that is no, you wouldn't be able to see it because your habit would stop you from seeing That's the possibility of And I thought, well, this is kind of a catch-22, isn't it? Because if, I, because if, I'm the, if I can train myself to walk through a wall, then I want people to see it. I want to be able to go, hey, man, look, Jade, I can walk through the wall. Otherwise, it's like, what are you doing, right? This is, you know, why would I train if I can't at least like, wave at someone on the other side? Okay, so I'm being silly here. But that first bit isn't that that is the, uh, that is the kind of Buddhist view on it, that the lucid dream state is laboratory of enlightened wisdom in which you can train in um, spiritual capacity that would be uh, very hard to do in the waking state, but at least you get a kind of a trial run at it. And that if you had the same level of lucidity in the waking state as you did in the dream, you might have the same capacity. Who knows? Um, I definitely haven't had any taste of that, but I have felt a little bit more fearless in the waking state if I've done something in the lucid dream state first. And I've found I'm a little bit less neurotic, still totally neurotic, but a little bit less neurotic than I used to be through going into the lucid dream and working through certain psychological issues and shadow issues and stuff like that. So no walking through walls, but yeah, walking through uh, life with a little bit more ease maybe. Okay, I'd like to put a completely different perspective to the Buddhist perspective and see how it works. Uh, the Buddhist perspective is fantastic. It's very old though, and most old things are out of date in my humble opinion um the uh it it seems to me that i would that we can understand this these levels through this wonderful idea of an evolutionary or emergent process by which deeper and deeper things have arrived into reality over 13.8 billion years so it's uncontroversial to say that the uh, the sensual body has come into existence and then from that has arisen this other experience we're having of psyche, which is where we dream and which we're experiencing right now. And it's a domain in which it's made of images. There's no, it's the imagination. There's no solidity to the things. And what that means, it seems to me, is that when I um, hold my phone here, it exists for itself in some way that when I have the imagination of my phone, it doesn't exist for itself. 
It's a projection, it's an image, but it's arisen from this. Because I originally had these experiences, I have those experiences, which is why the world of the imagination seems to be peopled with, uh, populated by, by images taken from my sensual life. So that it's directly emerged from it, but is now has its own independence, which means it can move around and I can experience it in ways which are impossible here. Like I can fly there, but I can't fly here. And here, here, what I'm experiencing here, it seems to me, although it seems solid, we know isn't solid, but there is something beyond, it seems, my imagination here. Because although this actual experience I'm having does, in a sense, exist inside my awareness, because it's images created by my particular body it's it's not the same image that a snail would have or a bat would have of being in this room there is something beyond it something objective information which i'm interpreting so that when i meet you you're not a figment of my imagination you are something beyond tim mm -hmm. when i experience that other realm What's interesting to me is that sometimes, and I've heard you talk about this, Charlie, which is why I was keen to mention it to you, it feels like there's a, there's a subjective level of that where it's all just my imagination, but then there's deeper levels you can explore through meditation and journeying and power plants and all sorts, where you start going into a place where you are relating objectively once again, or, or not objectively, but rather intersubjectively, that you're meeting other subjects. Mm -hmm. so that you start entering collective dreaming rather than individual dreaming. Mm -hmm. And so what intrigues me is the idea that this other domain, this soul dimension, this land of imagination of dreams, that is the place we're experiencing now. We go into it in dreams, but that through lucid dreaming and deep dreaming, we can go into what is another dimension of reality. And that is a dimension of reality that we all, we'll all, we will all explore after death, mm. uh, which is more vivid than this, precisely because it is not limited, like you said, but it has arisen from this and is therefore an evolutionary outpouring of a deeper potential, which, we, which has been created through this, this tangible world into this immaterial world. And that kind of turns around the traditional spiritual thing because most spirituality didn't have that evolutionary perspective because it's old, that's a new thing. So it was all about there's this other thing which we can bring into this rather than this is emerging from the more primitive state, is emerging into the more emergent state. And I wondered how that fitted with your, you've explored it deeply, how does that fit with your actual experience of that other dimension? It's interesting when you talk about kind of collective dreaming and stuff like that. I often say that, you know, 99% of everything in the lucid dream is your mind, uh, your, your kind of personal psyche. But there's this crucial 1%. And I think we can push into that space and kind of like a wedge widen it. And that 1% can become 5%, can become 10%. And then you're in a realm of kind of transpersonal experience where you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, and if you've if you know the lucid dream state well enough, you also know what is not the lucid dream state. And it is absolutely uh, possible to use the springboard of the lucid dream state, or at least the springboard of the falling asleep state, which is a space where this kind of um, maybe the glue that habitually sticks our mind to body becomes looser. Mm 
um, where we can go to places which will have objective reality um, and can even explore this objective reality in a different form and they should move into kind of astral projection and stuff like this um, there have been just too many reports of shared dreaming and kind of psychic capacity through the lucid dream state to discount it as a possibility and from both the Buddhist point of view of when you go into the lucid dream it said you have seven times the power of consciousness uh, than the waking state and if the scientific point of view if you look at the brain waves of someone in the lucid dream they start to exhibit gamma now they used to think gamma was only possible with like a waking state really deep level meditation in fact you know that god helmet experiment and they made people feel the presence of god it was gamma they were zapping their brains with so the brain naturally goes into this state oh, very often in the lucid dream state so it seemed like the lucid dream is bringing us to a more evolved state of consciousness than the waking state and perhaps actually what we think of as this kind of rational mind in the waking state is a limited mind. And when we move into these altered states of consciousness through lucid dreaming, through, as you mentioned, power plants, through deep states of meditation, we're moving to something greater than the waking state, um, not something that's more illusory. You know, this whole thing, oh, it's just a dream. I think it's opposite. I think, oh, it's just life. The dream state, we're actually evolving into a much higher state of uh, consciousness. I think that, that's the key thing here is that the, the esoteric perspective forever, including Buddhism and all those wonderful, actually, old traditions, I don't want to belittle them, they are fantastic, is that the, the, there is another dimension, the astral realm, it's often called in the West uh, to do with the stars, of course, but, the, but the, there is, which is not like an illusion. It's another level of reality. It's a subtle level of reality. And that we touch it in our dreams, but it can go deeper into it. And that's certainly been over the decades that I've been exploring it, especially when I was looking into Western esoteric practices. Mm -hmm. That was my experience. It was like, oh my God. And the sense then I have is now that we know that this world we're in here, which seems so solid, is really information which we're interpreting in this way, that there can be another level of subtle information so that we're actually sharing soul information with the possibility as richard was saying that we're actually sharing soul information now all the time mm. and that that's what we call psychic experience and we're picking up on each other non-locally in this in this way in in that other dimension which we're inhabiting right now i mean we're in that dimension now that's what mm. intrigues me one of the obvious thoughts which i repeat a lot just because it, it it's so clear to me is that in the in the sensual dimension i'm just making funny noises it's only in the psyche that these noises have meaning. Yeah. They don't have any meaning in sen sensuality. Yeah. They're, just, they're just noises. Yeah. We're actually living right now in that other dimension, which is not in sensation and yeah. has no material form. It, and it's full of mind stuff. We're in it now. How does the creation of meaning play into your, the soul story theory, uh, the kind of evolution, emerging consciousness thing? The creation of meaning, how does that play into it? The, the, the whole, the essence of the emergent spirituality is that spirituality has emerged. The things which we care about in soul have emerged with the development of psyche or soul. So as psyche or soul has evolved, it, and we can see roughly when that happened in the evolutionary process, so, you know, roughly, it's fairly recent, then we can see that's when meaning arrives, but not ah. just meaning everything which we associate with story arrives a yeah. plan arrives <laughs> um, regret arrives everything we associate which allows us which we imagination arrives mm. the, the imagination is a level of reality 
that has arisen through the evolutionary process, which is now formed and has come into form, so that the nature of that realm, the realm we experience after death, has come into, has evolved like everything else. Mm. And we're in it now, and we can go into it much, much deeper through practices, through dying, and in all those ways. So it's right. <laughs> in suggesting that, as opposed to say, atheistic materialism, that there are these after-death states that have a, a reality beyond our individual imagination, but you're turning on its head what gives rise to what, Tim? So yes, that very clear, Richard. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. So it, it, it's going, look, the, the evolutionary story we get from uh, materialism is the universe evolved, the physical universe, and then from that came life, and then that evolved, and then there was this funny side effect called psyche, which just happens because of the brain, and don't think about that. Actually, that's the thing we're all thinking with. <laughs> Everything's happening there. Now, the traditional view is that that psyche, soul, it just means soul, so soul is, was originally created, and then it fell into this other state. What I'm playing with is that doesn't work, really but neither does the other view. What about if we combine them in a different way and go, look, the evolutionary process has gone through matter to life and then to soul, so that the place which has been evolving the most and is evolving right now the most is actually this, is the imagination. Mm. But not the imagination like some weird, irrelevant side effect. The imagination as the most emergent and evolved level of reality. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's what it is, you know, it is all been leading to this immaterial realm of the imagination, which we are in. And, and that is the flower of the evolutionary process. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. Hmm. It does. It seems you could almost take either way of looking at the experiences we're talking about, whether it's um, experiences of an imaginational realm or mystical transpersonal experiences of oneness, the question arises, what's giving rise to what? That's, that, that, that's right. That's right, Richard. And, and I think the key thing with that is the, is, is the nature of time. Because time unfolds, by you know it's by accumulation that there's more and more of the past all the time because that is what's that's going on there is a natural tendency to move from more primitive things to more of emergent things because there's more time and so there's more like our conversation our conversation can be richer now than when we started because we've already said everything we've said and everything's like that so there is a natural tendency for the, the more emergent and deeper things to come later which is why life came after matter and soul came after life. And that this realm of the, of the imagination has become, is becoming constantly more richer, deeper, more complex. And, we can, and, and also our ability to explore it, I think, Charlie, is probably increasing all the time. So, Tim, do you think this is limited to, to human beings or to other beings? Because if imagination is, the, uh, is this kind of emergent pinnacle of evolution, then surely beings who might be, uh, I don't want to use that word, no, it's not even lower down the evolutionary scale. Are they evolving to this state? I don't know. Um, would you say that animals are doing the same thing? Will there come a point where uh, self-reflective consciousness in animals, as seems to be reported in certain types of dolphins, uh, completely different to other uh, 
uh, aspects of the animal realm. Do you think this evolution is happening in, in uh, other species as well? And will they come to a point where when we're moving towards kind of singularity in AI, will there come a point in the animal realm where they're moving towards the singularity of self-reflective consciousness, of, of uh, a knowing I am-ness? Okay, well, the AI thing is obviously a whole other thing. So we'll just leave yeah. that for a second, although fascinating. But, the, but so what you're saying, animals. Look, my experience yeah. is that clearly animals have imagination, some of them. You know, dogs dream. You know, that's yeah. imagination. So, you know, they, there is, and there's also clearly a, a hierarchy going on in nature. Um, I don't say that to be, to be little animals, but I see a hierarchy, which is why I'm a vegetarian. If I couldn't see a difference between a carrot and a cow, then I wouldn't be a vegetarian, but I can. And uh, so there's a clearly a differentiation there. And clearly every species of life is evolving on its own current and is still moving. Uh, what's happened, I think, specifically, though, is that we have specialized in soul. That's our special speciality. You know, bats have specialized in radar and they're brilliant. Okay. But we've specialized in soul. So that is opening up for us more and more and more. We're soul creatures. Now, in one way, any statement of better or worse is in relationship to what? So in relationship to soul, we are clearly better at imagination than anything else on the planet. There's no doubt about that. Are we better at everything else? No, we're not better at swimming or flying or radar. Or, as we're, we're better at this. Um, and this is interesting in that it is the new level that's opening up. So that's kind of significant. Um, but the other beings are also experiencing it in some way, seems clear to me. And, and where the lines are drawn, I haven't got a clue. No idea. Uh, I, I, but I try to relate to all beings as if they are significant. Great. Thanks, ma'am. I would like to, um, to ask you both about um, mystical experience. Tim, your work starts, well, your story really starts with this experience on a hill, asking the deep questions of life, and then this transcendent sense of love opening up. And Charlie, I've heard you refer to um, the deeper levels of the Tibetan um, yogic dreaming practice are getting at opening up these kind of transpersonal states within dreams. Um, and that's, it's really interesting to me because it, it resonates with my own experience that in any deeply transpersonal um, kind of advisor awakening experience I've had, they usually come at about four in the morning and I wake up semi-wake up i'll be aware that i'm lying in my bed but i'll still I'll, I'll have dream imagery going on and that's when something transcendent this infinite ocean of love feeling tends to open mm. because that veil is a bit thinner then mm. um, so i wonder what your experience is um charlie from the dream state and mysticism and tim with the relationship to i know you've written very eloquently on the relationship between um sleep and the deep mystical state So I think um, that term veil you used is interesting. Um, it said that the, in the lucid dream state, the veils that obscure our innately enlightened nature are at their thinnest. So essentially you're closer to a full experience of Buddha nature, which is like this innate divinity in all beings from squid to Satanist, everyone has Buddha nature. And in the lucid dream state, the veils that obscure that are at their thinnest. So if you move into a state where these veils are thin, and then you engage certain spiritual practices, whatever they are. I've worked in the new book, I've got this brilliant dream from this Christian guy called Anthony, a Christian lawyer from the Midwest. And um, 
he wanted to see if he could practice the dream yoga stuff, the Tibetan dream yoga stuff within his Christian tradition. So he gets lucid and rather than calling out his mantras and transforming into the Buddha or whatever it was, he gets lucid and he starts singing his favorite Christian hymn. And at that point, his heart started to crack open and this white light went out of his heart and like filled the whole uh, uh, dream with light. And he said he felt this amazing experience of, of ecstasy and peace and he wakes up. And he emails me and says, was that right? Uh, did, did, it, was that dream yoga? And I was like, oh, that was absolutely dream yoga. You know, the Buddhists don't have some sort of monopoly, maybe on the term dream yoga, but the use of the lucid dream state as a platform for spiritual emergence. This isn't a Buddhist thing. It's not a Christian thing. It's, a, it's, it's as, as Tim might say, it's a soul thing, you know? So uh, there is absolutely possibility to use the lucid dream state to engage in these uh, quite profound spiritual experiences and yes you can have them and on the rare occasion they can be so big that they can really change the way you go about life after the dream they leave such a kind of imprint on your mind that you can't really go back to where you came from before um and it's little little things you know it's nothing I'm still totally me and I've had no big awakening experience or anything like that, but I've had some lucid dreams that I have felt have absolutely progressed me um, on a kind of a love level at a far greater pace than had I just been doing those meditations in the waking state. Um, yeah, that feels true. Tim, Charlie's um, in his work is going into a dream and becoming more conscious okay you could also become more conscious and go into a kind of dream right or go into the deep levels of the psyche which yeah in some ways relates i suppose more to your approach maybe dream is the wrong word but to go into the depths and yeah you... yeah i i think and, and a lot of the i i haven't um like charlie has i uh i haven't done gone deeply into the idea of lucid dreaming but a lot of the um magical work which i did when i was much younger to do with the imagination is kind of like that it's just that you're not you're conscious and you're you're moving into the same experience of oh my god i'm suddenly in this vivid world um of my imagination and i've completely lost the other world um through this state of meditation and what, intri what intrigues me and it kind of relates to what you were saying when you introduced this question line of questioning richard is the the there is a there's a ground to our being which buddha nature um, charlie just called it and you know in the west it's called spirit or essence or being in philosophy or now so there's a hundred and it's atman it doesn't matter there's a there's a ground to our being it's the thing which is experiencing this and the way it looks to me is that the, there is a there is a, a profound potentiality from which everything is arising which is formless from which all form is arising it's what's before the big bang if you like what's before what's before the creation of the universe or the rising of the universe well the potential for the universe so everything's coming from that and the deeper things are arriving last so the deepest thing just chronologically as well is psyche soul this world of images of meaning of narrative all of that dreams which we're experiencing. And then if we go deep enough, there's an even more emergent level. And that is when you experience consciously 
the potentiality of spirit. You consciously touch that the deep thing you really are, where you've really come from. This formless, I love it in, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, one of the translations has calls it the luminosity of potentiality. I think yeah. you might have told me that actually. Uh, I stuck it in the, in the book because Charlie told me that translation. It's like, yeah, that's it. So you're coming into that. And that is this deep spiritual awakening where you touch spirit or Buddha nature. And, and that is, we can do that in course of this state. We don't have to be asleep or anything. In fact, the opposite, when you go to sleep, normally you fall back into it unconsciously. That's what deep sleep is. You kind of sink back through the dream state into this unconscious state. But with this, you can wake up into it consciously so that you're in that formless oneness, which is your own essence, but you know it consciously. And that's where this is incredible oneness and this love for everything else because you're one with everything. Because you are, because you see my being is your being, is, it, is all being. So that we're coming up to that. And what intrigues me then about the death state is that what I see in all the traditions that I've written about and, and also from all the NDEs that I've seen, which obviously we now have hundreds of thousands, that there is a coming into an, an imaginary state, a kind of dream, collective dream, where collective dream things happen, but, you, but you're not on your own, uh, but where the person who you are seeing can project themselves as anything they want to, and you can, it can all move and change and it's not linear, but nevertheless, you're actually connecting soul to soul. So you're passing soul information to each other, a bit like in a virtual reality on the internet or something, you know, as a model for that, where you can choose your avatar and all that. And then if you go deeper, there's the clear light of the void. There's the love light, which people experience as God or their own deep essence or whatever they, is their name for it, which is this profound love and oneness, which seems like to me the most emergent level yet. So the whole thing has gone from this unconscious spirit of potentiality, which we sink into in deep sleep, and has arisen as this conscious luminosity of emptiness, the light of emptiness, mm -hmm. which we arise at at the most emergent level. Which, so we go from deep, awake, sleep, deep sleep to this deep awake mm -hmm. through this evolutionary process of reaching up to ever greater potentials. And that's a kind of a different way of approaching the traditional esoteric story that you get in all of these other, these other traditions, but binding them together with, with science. Mm. Okay. That, that perhaps provides um, a jumping off point for the, the final thing I wanted to um, ask about, which is like mentioning the clear light of the void uh, there, Tim, I'd like to ask about the dark side of the clear light of the void perhaps, which I think um, people encounter in dreams. Um, and I've in, encountered myself um, and worked through some of my paranoias over hell and these kind of images and a lot of dark stuff in dreams. Um, and it's something I encounter with people who come to meditation classes I've been running have reported sometimes a fear of going to sleep because of the level of darkness they encounter there, whether it's violent imagery or demonic imagery or all this kind of stuff, um, which um, the Aldous Huxley writes about the clear light of the void as when people approach that spiritual sense, but they carry all their baggage with them. This all brilliant loving light starts to burn that away and it feels like a hellish fire all of a sudden. So, um, Charlie, what, what's your experience? I know you're writing or you've written a book. It's about to come out. 
on shadow work in in lucid dreaming what's your um perspective on this and advice for people who are encountering really difficult um dreams mm. okay so nightmares are interesting there are kind of two images i want to offer here one is nightmares sourced by some sort of psychological or physical trauma um you know let's say you've been in a car crash and then for the weeks after you keep on dreaming about the car crash or uh, like the veterans i'll be working with in a couple of weeks up in scotland um uh, armed, armed forces veterans they've been in uh, terrifying traumatic situations they keep dreaming about it now in that case the nightmare rather than being seen as some sort of um something that's fundamentally wrong with the mind an expression of brokenness actually the nightmare is in many ways a sign of a healing mind a nightmare is a dream that's shouting it's shouting hey look at this deal with this deal with this that the car crash happened i want you to dream about it and in fact modern day neuroscience acts this up that dreaming about traumatic experiences is actually a good sign it's showing that the mind is processing if you look at the 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 reason why we dream neurologically it's about reconsolidation of memory it's about uh, dreaming what would happen if we run from the saber-toothed tiger rather than fight the saber-toothed tiger what happens if we run a, uh, hide up a tree from the saber-toothed tiger it's uh, evolutionary trait that they would say brought us to the position of top predator the fact we could dream about um, possible scary scenarios to allow us to escape them in everyday life so I would say if people are having uh, scary dreams about trauma from their childhood and stuff like that actually it can be a very good sign it shows that the mind is conscious enough to highlight certain areas of uh, the mind which we are unwilling to look at in the waking state when we go to sleep that censorship is removed so the mind can say this is what we need to look at Charlie daddy issues or uh, Richard the car crash that happened it's showing us that so this kind of flip on its head of what a nightmare is into a dream that's shouting can be really beneficial for people because you see that it's not a sign of a broken mind it's a sign of a healing mind and that there's an innate intelligence within the psyche that strives for balance and is using the nightmare to try and highlight uh, an area of healing that's if there's kind of mental and physical trauma the other way is if people are just having nightmares and they're like god i really can't trace this back to anything but i'm having these really effed up dreams like really kind of scarily sexual or really aggressive dreams and stuff like that now that again can be a really good sign and they often come hand in hand as a hygiene dream sorry Charlie can you just repeat that last after the often come ah uh, yes you froze so I assume that I froze too uh, yes no problem um, so this is for people who are having scary dreams uh, nightmares but can't trace it to any physical or mental trauma <clears throat> a nightmare is a very high energy dream so if you start to do energy work, you start to do spiritual work, a lot of people experience having nightmares. Two dreams. In one of them, I'm walking down the street in London with my fiance. I wake up. In the second dream, I'm walking down the street in London and I'm in a zombie apocalypse being attacked by dragons and vampires spitting bumblebees. Uh, I wake up and I think, oh, that was a bad dream. It was vampires spitting bumblebees and, and zombie apocalypse stuff. I'm, I'm a bad person or I'm broken or something. Look at them energetically. Remove any moralistic judgment on the content of the dream. Which dream has more energy? The second dream, right? The vampire zombie apocalypse dream. The one I'm walking down the street with, with my fiance. There's no energy to that dream. So often we start to do energy work when we start to recapitulate our spiritual power back into the wholeness of our being. 
our dream states start to express these very high energy dreams might be high energy sexuality and high energy violence this isn't because we're a violent or perverted person this is because the mind is expressing itself in its most high energy forms uh, and these are two of them so if you're doing loads of meditation thinking oh my god i'm doing loads of meditation but my dreams are really effed up this doesn't mean the meditation is effing you up in fact in many ways it could be showing the meditation is working it's actually energizing the mind uh, and then the Buddhist view on it is that it's kind of a purification stuff. So dreaming about really scary stuff can be really good because it shows you're purifying the mind of these habitual tendencies towards violence, whatever it is. And and in your Rant, experience, sorry. If anything, people, a lot of people have concerns about the reality of what's going on. If it's, if they're um, encountering demonic kind of entities um, visiting them in their dreams, is this something you need to push away from? Because there could be a real kind of threat there. What does the Buddhist perspective and what does your perspective have on, on integrating that kind of darkness? Is there something that you should really be afraid of there or is it? My, my perspective is if it's happening in a dream state, then 99% probability is that it is your mind. You know, and people have lucid dreams and angels appear. They're very ready to say, oh, I met my inner angel. Oh, it was so great. Mm. When they meet their shadow in their lucid dream, which will often appear as an archetypal demon or whatever you are really, really scared of. Uh, oh, no, it couldn't possibly be me. It must have been an external entity that entered into my dream, hacked my dream space, and is now torturing me with this thing. Maybe. But maybe it's your shadow. And maybe it's a time to look at what the content of the shadow is. Now, if people have lesser, uh, if people haven't gone into their shadow, like if somebody doesn't know that their shadow, their personal shadow maybe contains a lot of sexual stuff and a lot of violent stuff, then when in their dreams they're encountered by this sexualized demon who's trying to chop their head off, of course they won't think it's them. They'll say, well, it can't be me. I'm not, I'm, I, have, I don't have these things in me. But if they've done waking state shadow work through the contemplations, through the meditations and seen, okay, this is part of my shadow. This is where I repress my sexual energy and my uh, uh, energy of kind of wrath. If I have kind of suppressed anger and stuff, uh, then they're less likely to see it as them and more likely to project it as a dualistic thing. For people thinking about the 1%, uh, what if it is the 1%? What if it is the collective shadow? What if it's actually Satan himself in my dream? Then absolutely show the thing love and hug it. Even more so. I mean, if Satan enters your dream and you love it with hug, it could be world peace the next day. So even if it is the 1%, absolutely still move towards it fearlessly. Because if it is the 1%, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to show that thing fear. You need to move to it with the power of compassion. You know, this is a protection. When I tell people to go into their lucid dreams and hug their demons, I'm not talking about an A-frame hug. Mwah, mwah. I'm talking about, boom, bring that thing in. You know, embrace the energy. Bring back what's yours. There's a power to it. There's a warriorship to it. Um, so that's my advice. Thank you. Yeah, I had this um, week. As I said, I, I worked through some of my kind of fears of hell um, through mm. dreaming. And I had this reoccurring dream of I'd be sort of aware that I was awake in bed, which in some ways made it worse because I'd feel myself mm. then slipping into this hellish imagery. And what am I dying here and going to hell? And um, mm. I, I arrived one night and I could see Satan on his throne and fire all around. <sighs> And I wanted wow. to pull away and pull away and get right back, like really wake up, wake up, wake up. Um, and then I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to face this, right? Because it's going to reoccur. And um, if I want to integrate this experience, and I allow myself to sink into the fire and almost like hand myself over to the feet of Satan. Brilliant. And then it, it all transformed in all the fire transformed into this sense of infinite love. And it was like that experience that Aldous Huxley wrote about of the, the fire, the, the, this misperception of the love of God in that time yeah. that we, when we can't, when we're not um, allowing ourselves to 
become one with it, it starts to burn at that separation yeah. and it feels like it's opposite. So that's a brilliant example, Richard. So when you finally could surrender to it, absolutely, the yeah. flames became love. Absolutely. God, that's even more powerful than hugging the thing because hugging the thing, there's still a level of duality. Oh, I'd better hug it to, to bring it in. But yours surrender. That's an even higher level actually to really surrender to the power and once you surrender to see it was nothing but love in the first place yes I'm, i want i've always, i wanted to to mention that to someone of your experience and uh, see what your reflection was on it. I think 10 out of 10 that's my reflection man you yeah. nailed it Great. <laughs> i just want to pop in and say um that i'm in the lucky position of having read charlie's new book on shadow work uh, pre-publication and uh, it's fantastic I you know, really good this is a message for everyone out there who's watching this, this is a great book um, and it's a deep it's a, being able to you know the, the question you brought up here Richard of you know to deal with what is the thing you don't want to go to that's a, an amazing thing to be doing and amazing to write about and amazing thing to actually do yourself especially if you can do it with authenticity and humility and honesty and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an important level. A lot of the people that I come across, in, because of what I write about, tend to want to transcend. But actually, the the transcendence is possible also through transformation. And so for me, it's like everything is made of the past. Everything, the whole universe, is made of what has been, what's come into form. And and I'm made of the past, and my soul, my psyche, is made of the past. Everything I've been, and some of that is a bit confused and a bit damaged and all sorts of experiences have happened and that that ha we need to be able to look at that and transmute it like the alchemists from lead into gold mm -hmm. and the shadow work is how we transmute it we being able to to love it to to be conscious of it to come back in it to walk into the fire whatever in dreams in waking state in meditation that that allows us to to build the nature of the soul more robustly to make it healthy and enable us then to experience these more emergent states like awakening, awakening to, to the love light that, that, that rests mm. on that process. So yeah, I love the book, uh, Charlie. I really did. Great. Thanks, Tim. Uh, without this turning into some sort of like self-congratulatory self uh, masturbation session, I'd like to say that I haven't read all of Tim's book. Uh, because I only handed mine in last week, so I haven't been reading anything else but the shadow stuff. But I've had a live version of Tim's book uh, where I was sitting uh, very in his office, actually, somewhere where he is now, and he gave me the soul story kind of theory in about 25 minutes. And I was sitting there, and he kind of just went for it and gave me the whole thing. And I remember listening to it, and... Ooh. Sorry, guys. I'm at the Buddhist center, and the fire alarm has gone off. Uh, it's just a test they do every day at this time. It's going to go off again in a couple of minutes. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> just to make sure all the monks right. don't burn in the fire. But maybe they should surrender, <laughs> and then they will. So anyway, Tim gave me his whole theory. And often with these big kind of, you know, the big theories of everything, they don't really make sense. Or maybe they do, but the intellectual level is too high for me, and I don't really understand them. With Tim, he got to the end, and he kind of finished. And I was like, oh, shit, that... That actually makes sense, dude. Tell me the beginning bit again. And he gave me the beginning bit. And I compared it against the end bit. And I was like, that's actually complete. Your theory actually works. And I don't mean to send a surprise in my voice that Tim's theory actually works. But just that anybody's big theory of anything works shocks me. Uh, but Tim's in particular really made sense. And I was like, whoa, this guy's kind of done what he set out to do, which is propose his big theory of everything. Um, 
so it's really worth checking out guys whether you read the book or whether you go to one of tim's uh, workshops oh and the workshops guys uh the kind of immersive retreats tim does are really really powerful uh, so they go for them too and he hasn't paid me to say this i promise you this is totally <laughs> they are they're brilliant hey where do people get get your book charlie um i guess like title. amazon like oh sorry the title of the book is called dreaming through darkness um and yeah like anywhere that sells books it comes out on may the 30th there we go again Woo! No monks were killed during, <laughs> during <this laughs> the recording of this discussion. <laughs> May the 30th. We'll put links beneath the video or whatever platform you're watching or downloading this on. There'll be a link there to Charlie and Tim's website and their respective books on, on Amazon. So Soul Story is out now. And Charlie, say the name again, just in case the file along. It's called the... Dreaming Through Darkness. May the 30th. Yeah. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a fascinating morning. I hope the uh, those listening in has enjoyed it as much as as I have being a part of this. And uh, I'm sure we all we could find many hours to talk about again in the future. So we'll we'll make that happen. Yeah, Brilliant. Thanks, thanks so much, Richard. Thanks a lot, Tim. It's been really really fun. Thanks yeah. a lot.